Good morning, everybody. My name is Norton. Um, in 1976, a little startup called Apple Computer Company released its first computer into the world. And for the next uh, 25 years, Apple would focus on making computers that made people's lives better. In 2001, Apple released a brand new device called the iPod. It was a small handheld music playing device. Uh, most of us here probably had one of these. For the first time, you had access to hundreds of songs. Hundreds of songs right in the palm of your hand. Then in 2007, Steve Jobs, the CEO of Apple, uh, gave a keynote address to the tech industry. He spent the first 25 minutes talking about something called Apple TV. It would make it easier than ever before to watch TV shows and movies. And most of us just shrugged our shoulders at this point because we already had a TV. Why do we need something else called a TV? And if I want to watch a movie, I can just go down to Blockbuster, right? Or there's this new company that will mail DVDs straight to your house called Netflix, right? Now, Apple TV at that time seemed like a bit of a flop, but 27 minutes into his address, Steve Jobs announced three new products that he wanted to unveil. Take a look. Today, we're introducing three revolutionary products in this class. <clears throat> the first one is a widescreen iPod with touch controls. The second is a revolutionary And the third is a breakthrough internet communications device. So, three things. A widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device. An iPod, a phone, and an internet communicator. An iPod, a phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. And we are calling it iPhone. Today, today Apple is going to reinvent the phone. <laughs> um, and indeed they did. Now, uh, what's fascinating is that the primary reason that Apple developed this iPhone is because the iPod had become so popular and everyone was carrying around an iPod in one pocket and a cell phone in the other pocket. And so Jobs believed he could make all of our lives simpler and easier and better and less cluttered by combining these two things and, of course, doing it in a sleek and very user-friendly way like only Apple 
could do. In fact, the ability of this new device to connect to the internet or to do other kinds of things was quite secondary at the time. It was an hour into his address before he even talked about those kinds of things. Uh, the new iPhone didn't have an app store. There was no ability to put new apps on the phone. You were stuck with the handful of apps that Apple already put on there. The network at that time was a 3G network. It wasn't very fast. So basically, this new phone was a really nice iPod that could also make phone calls. And yet, what we know today is that the smartphone has changed our world. It's changed our lives. It's changed the way we live our lives. And just consider how it's changed the way we even look at our devices. 20 years ago, we spent a few minutes every single day looking at our mobile devices. Today, on average, we spend about four and a half hours a day looking at our mobile and handheld devices. Now, add to that about two and a half hours of average time spent watching streaming TV or gaming. Add to that the use of tablets, laptops, desktop computers that many of us use for school or for work. And the reality is most of us spend the majority of our waking time every single day looking at a screen. See, screens aren't just a part of our lives anymore. They dominate our lives. Now, it was maybe uh, four or five or six years ago um, that we all started making jokes about this, right? We started to recognize, wow, we're on our devices a lot. And all of us had that one app that sucked us in. Maybe it was Candy Crush, remember that? Or, or maybe it was a, a social media app, or maybe it was YouTube or TikTok. Um, and, and whatever app it was for you, uh, maybe if you were a Christian, um, when you got to Lent, you were like, maybe I should give up this app during Lent. Can I go 40 days without checking Facebook? You know, And it was kind of something we talked about. Or when you went to a restaurant, sometimes you would see uh, groups of people or maybe a family, and they would be on their phone phones all the time. Um, and if you were over 35, you'd be like, oh, those millennials, right? You know, that was kind of the common thing. And, and it was something that we sort of recognized something had changed in our lives. We tend to use these devices a lot, but it was more of a, a ha-ha kind of observation. But today, I talk to more and more and more people who are realizing that they're Screen use is way more problematic and maybe even the word that's being used addictive than we previously thought. That it's not really something to joke about anymore. It's something we need to have a serious conversation about. Now, uh, before we go any further, some of you might be inwardly groaning at this point, right? Because maybe you don't really want to talk about this. Um, maybe you're a tech enthusiast and you feel an anti-tech rant coming on. Um, maybe you think this is a problem for other people, but this is not a problem for me. Um, or maybe you're a teenager and your parents are constantly telling you to get off the phone. And the last thing you want to do is come to church and hear somebody talk about getting off the phone as well. So let me assure Assure you before we go any further, let, let me try to uh, frame why we need to have a conversation about this. 
So the first thing I want to assure you of is this. Number one, this is not going to be an anti-technology conversation. I am not anti-technology. I have an iPhone 12 Pro, which is super outdated now, right? Um, and I just got back from traveling, and it was really helpful, right? I could put my boarding passes on here, and I could take pictures, and I could watch you know, TV while I'm on the plane because of the American Airlines app, and I could have maps, and I could communicate with back home. It was really helpful. Um, I also have um, a MacBook laptop that I do most of my work on. Our family has a smart TV at home. We're working our way through old lost episodes right now on Hulu, right? So I am not anti-technology. We're also not an anti-technology church. We actually use an app and tell everyone you should download this app on your phone to sign up for events here or to sign up for groups or it's an easy way if you want to give online. Uh, We have an Instagram account, so people that follow us, we can update it and kind of let them know what's happening here. Um, We obviously have three massive screens in this room because we think and know that they will help us when we gather together and worship. So so this is not an anti-technology discussion. Uh, Number two, um, this is not only about teenagers, Uh, Teenagers have become the focus of a lot of this discussion when it comes to screen use. And if you're a teenager, sometimes you guys feel really singled out. But the reason is because you are the first generation to grow up with a smartphone as part of your life. You're the first generation to use these kinds of devices at a young age where they are a huge part of your mental and social and emotional development. In other words, whatever this new technological era has on all of us, it's going to show up in your lives in a much greater degree first. And the data is now revealing that. Rates of anxiety, depression, and loneliness have grown significantly over the last 10 to 15 years in every single age demographic but the most in teenagers. And that's not just self-reported data. The rates of teenagers being admitted to the hospital for cutting themselves or for attempting suicide has grown significantly since 2007. But that is more because of a teenager's season of development. It's not because they use their phones more. See, that's the common knock on teenagers, right? They're always on their phones, right? They use their phones way more than everyone else. But that's not actually true. Here's the average screen time use right now for average Americans. Gen Zers use screens that include your mobile devices and sort of streaming TVs and games on an average a little over seven hours a day. Millennials are a little under seven hours a day. Gen Xers are about six hours a day. And baby boomers are about three hours a day. Uh, So yes, there is a significant drop off with baby boomers, and that's because you guys didn't even grow up with computers, right? The digital technology and age that we're in has been totally new only in really the second half of your life. But screen use among Gen Xers and millennials is almost as high as Gen Zers. And so it's no surprise that teenagers are so frustrated with their parents 
and with adults who are always telling them to get off their phones when the adults are on their phones almost as much. So this is not a discussion that's just about teenagers. It's really about all of us. And here's why it's important that we talk about it. Number three, this is more spiritual than we think. So you might be sitting here right now and thinking, is this what the sermon's going to be about today? Like, why are we talking about this at church? Shouldn't we be talking about faith? Shouldn't we be studying the Bible? And yes, we should. And we're going to do that over the next several weeks. And I'm going to try to do my best to convince you that this is one of the most spiritual issues we could be talking about right now. In fact, over the next three weeks, we're going to explore three really important ideas that are at the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They're at the core of what it means to move forward in your journey of faith. They're at the core of what it means to embrace what, who we are as humans and become whole again. And all three of these things are directly related to the pervasive way that screens now dominate our lives and our culture. Number four, this is bigger than we think. Um, See, the issue is not really that we all uh, are on our screens more than we should, and so let's figure out a way to reduce our time, right? Sometimes when we talk about um, screen usage, that becomes the dominant tone, as if our screens are like cookies, and it's okay to eat one or two, but if you eat too many, you're going to gain weight, and that's not really healthy, and we've all gained too much weight, so we need to figure out how to put some limits on our cookie eating, right, or on our screen usage, And of course, when it's framed that way, we all feel guilty because we all like cookies, right? We like our phones. I love my phone. I love the amazing things that I can do with this device. But here's the deal. To talk about it in that kind of way is to discuss all of this as if a quantitative change has taken place. Like we all had uh, smart devices before and we used them in moderation, but something has happened in the last five or ten years and now things have gotten out of hand and we're not using them in moderation anymore. But it's way bigger than that. It's not a quantitative change that has taken place. What's happened in the last 15 years is a massive, transformational, qualitative change in our lives and in our culture. The way that we engage our screens now has changed the way we think. It's changed the way that we communicate and interact with one another. It's changed the way we feel. It's changed the way we express ourselves. It's changed the way our minds process information. It has changed our world. Which means, even if you are a below-average user... Even if this doesn't feel like it's a problem for you, it's a problem for other people, right? It has changed the world that you live in. And if we care about our world, if we care about our faith, if we care about our lives, if we care about future generations, maybe you're a parent or a grandparent, right? If you care about your children and your grandchildren, then we will all stop and pause and ask ourselves, how should we think? about this massive change that has taken place in our lives and in our culture. Uh, One more comment 
about why we're going to talk about all this. Number five, this is deeper than we think. See, the problem is not just that we're filling up our time scrolling through social media apps or texting and chatting with friends or watching YouTube or binge-watching shows on Netflix or checking news blogs or sports sites or whatever it is we do. If all of those things and doing all of those things was fulfilling a deep human need deep down inside of each one of us, then there wouldn't really be a problem to discuss. But it's not. In fact, many of us are realizing that the more time we spend on our devices and on our screens, the more empty and unfulfilled we feel. Let me tell you a quick story. In 2006, um, Janice and I traveled to San Pedro La Laguna in Guatemala. Um, This was before we had kids. This was before New Denver Church had uh, a partnership down there. This was before there was even a New Denver Church. It was the first time we had been to this little village, and we went there partly to learn uh, Spanish. And so we spent a week there in this little Mayan village taking Spanish classes and living with a Mayan family who spoke zero English. Uh, Rosa, the mother of the family, made dinner for us every single night. Uh, She would give us a big plate of food because um, she knew and believed that Americans eat more than Guatemalans. And so she would give us this big plate of food. And then um, after we ate our food, she would look at us and say, Satisfecho? Which even if you don't know Spanish, you can guess what that means. Are you satisfied? Did you get enough? Are you full? Satisfecho? Are you satisfied? Now, let me ask you a question. When you eat a meal, what makes a meal satisfying? Is it the amount of food you eat? Not necessarily. We learned that the hard way with Rosa. Uh, The first night she asked us, Satisfecho? We didn't respond because our minds were still processing Spanish and all those kind of things. So we didn't respond immediately. And she grabbed our plates, went and filled them back up and brought us a second massive plate of food. Now, Rosa was poor and she spent a lot of hard work making this meal for us. And we didn't want to be rude. So we ate the whole second plate of food. And before we even took our last bite to the second plate, she grabbed the plate again and went back and filled it up a third time. And the more we ate, the less satisfaction we got, right? And we all know that experience. Some of us feel that every Thanksgiving meal, right? Or if you ever go to the all-you-can-eat buffet, it sounds like a great idea, but more food does not necessarily mean more satisfying. No, we all know a meal is satisfying because of the quality of the food, because it's fresh, because it's been prepared well, because it tastes really good, because it's nutritious to our bodies, or or maybe because of who made the meal for us, or maybe because of who we're enjoying the meal with. We all know what it's like to eat a meal that is deeply satisfying. 
And if you're a foodie, you would even go so far as to say, we were made to eat meals like that, right? We were made to experience really good food. The reason that really good food is so satisfying to us is because it is fulfilling a hunger that is deep down inside of us that is connected to how we were made and wired. Now, if you zoom out a little bit, you could say the same thing about our whole lives, that we were made to experience a sense of deep satisfaction in our lives. And I don't mean perfection, right? But that sense of deep satisfaction that is found in meaningful relationships, great conversations, really good food, purposeful work, rejuvenating rest, authentic experiences, right? Connection to something that is bigger than yourself. There are all kinds of ways we can experience deep satisfaction in life, but we all long for it. We all desire it. We all want it because we were all made for it. And many of us are noticing that we rarely experience it. We rarely go to bed at night feeling deeply satisfied, deeply content, deeply full. As I said before, we often go to bed feeling more anxious than ever, feeling more tired and exhausted than ever, feeling more depressed than ever, feeling more lonely and disconnected than ever. We feel less satisfied than we have ever felt before. It reminds me of a short passage in the Old Testament book of Haggai. If you're reading through the Bible with us, we read this a few weeks ago. Um, I won't go into the context, but basically Haggai is just delivering a message to the people of Israel. And here's what he says. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. That one line in the middle is so powerful. It can be translated a few different ways. You eat, but never have enough. You keep filling your plates, but you never get filled up. You eat, but are not satisfied. Isn't that true for a lot of us? We do a lot. We consume a lot. But we're rarely deeply satisfied. And there's a lot, a lot of reasons for that that we could talk about. But one of the biggest reasons is related to this. Because of what this often does, for for all of its good uses, and we'll talk about those, for all of the great things that these devices can do, what my phone often does is just give me a taste of what I'm really longing for. You see, it's a bit 
like cotton candy, right? It's pretty, it's cool. The neon blue color looks so much more interesting than this, right? It's sugary and sweet. It dissolves and melts in our mouths. And you can eat a whole lot of this and never feel full. In fact, that's the problem, isn't it? We, we spend a lot of time on our devices and we never feel full. It's like eating a whole bunch of cotton candy. It doesn't fill us up. It's not nourishing us. It's not satisfying us. Now, there are meals that would satisfy us. There are things in life that would that would deeply nourish and satisfy us, and they're available to us. It's like they're sitting there all of the time, and we're invited to sit at the table and partake of these meals. But what we often do, and we don't intentionally do this, none of us chose to do this, we just sort of fell into it, but what we often do is choose to just sit and eat cotton candy instead of the meal that would be so much more satisfying and then we get sick to our stomachs we're anxious and depressed and lonely and we've been living on cotton candy for so long that we don't even know what deeply satisfying food tastes like anymore and of course i'm not talking about food i'm talking about the life that god has for us the abundant life that Jesus invited us to share with him. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend eight weeks talking about this. The name of the series is called uh, Deeply Satisfied because we're just going to explore what does it mean to be deeply satisfied? Why are so many of us not satisfied and how technology might play a bigger role in all of this than we think. And just in case you're wondering, uh, the answer is not going to be we all have to get rid of our phones or we all have to get rid of our TVs. It's also not going to be here's a whole bunch of life hacks to help you um, not look at your screen as much as you used to, right? No, I don't think that would be very helpful. I think what would be way more helpful would be to back up and ask questions like this. How has screen technology changed our lives? What is its proper place and use? And how can we experience the deep satisfaction that God made us for? And so as we close today, I want to ask you to do two things. All right, this is your part. Number one, be open to this conversation. Right? Maybe you're skeptical uh, maybe you're tired of this. Um, maybe there's a part of you that's already defensive and you don't want to talk about it. All I would just ask is to just be open and honest. Right? Show up and participate. Don't run from the conversation. Lean into it. As Haggai said, let's just give careful thought to our ways. Here's what I'll commit to you. I'll try to be as helpful and as objective as possible as we walk through this. Um, I'll try to uh, provide some supplemental podcasts as we go through this series just to give you some more data, um, some more things to reflect on or think about. 
Um, I also want to recommend a book. Uh, it's called um, Digital Minimalism by a guy named Cal Newport. Um, you might recognize his name. He's written a lot of great books. This is one of the best and I think most positive and even-handed books on this new gen digital age that we live in and how to navigate it. Um, we're not going to follow the book exactly, um, but I will share with you some of what I think are some of the ideas that he shares that are helpful. But if you are someone who likes to process things by reading, then um, you should buy this book and just read it along uh, with this series. So be open to what we're doing. And then here's the second thing I want to ask you to do. And this is your homework for this week. And it's really, really easy. Every single person can do this. All right. Number two is this. Track your phone screen time for the next five days. All right. Track your screen time that you spend on your phone for the next five days. Don't change anything. You don't have to change any habits. You don't have to do anything different about your practices. Just set your phone up to track how much time you spend on it. And don't even look at it during the week. Wait until Saturday to take a look at it. If you have an iPhone, it's really easy to do this. Just go to your settings. And then under that, there's this thing app called Screen Time. Some of you are very aware of it. Um, but just make sure it's turned on. There's lots of settings in there that you could turn on. All you have to do is turn it on and make sure it's tracking. And at the end of the week, you'll be able to see how much time you actually spent on your phone, how much you spent on each app, how many notifications you got, how many times you picked it up. Um, if you have an Android, um, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> I'm sorry that you live with a bunch of people who look down on you all the time as well. Um, but there's an app for you as well. So on your phone, just go to settings and it's called digital well-being. Uh, so go to digital well-being and do the same thing. Just make sure it's turned on uh, to track your use. And the goal of this is just to get an honest assessment, right? We need a place to start. We need to know how much time we're actually spending on these devices. Now, extra credit if you want to track how much time you spend on a tablet and on your laptop and on your TV at home. Like those are all important as well. We spend a lot of time on those devices too. And we'll be talking about that during this series. But it's also a lot more complicated to try to track those things. So at the very least, track your phone usage over the next five days this week. And then next week, come back and we will talk about the first really big and really important idea that connects to our faith, our lives, and our screens. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would um, open up our hearts in whatever way um, that they need to be open. For those of us um, who perhaps uh, have felt for a long time like um, this part of our lives is too dominant, would you help us to know what to do? For those of us who have maybe never thought about this, would you help us to be open? And for those of us who are maybe even sensing some inward resistance right now, God, would you help us to see that you want us to live deeply satisfying lives. And so would you help us to just be open to coming to you to seek out what that looks like and what that means. And to do, as Haggai said, to give careful thought and consideration to our lives and how we can experience what you made us 
to experience. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.